Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Danielle Carter, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. If you have thoughts or comments on what we should cover in a future episode, let us know. Talk with us on Twitter at Cisco Champion. Today we are talking about accelerating your network infrastructure efficiency with workflow automation. So let's go ahead and get into introductions. Let's start with Mark. It's been a while. It's good to have you on. Tell us who you are and what it is that you do. Uh, hi, I'm Mark Siebring. Uh, I'm an expert director at Devo Team. It's a consulting company in Europe. I do a lot of automation for uh, clients, network automation, data center automation, workflow automation, um, and all the transformations that are related to that. You can find me on LinkedIn as Mark Siebring and on Twitter as NetCICD, and I have some blogs as well. Um, if you look for my reference and NetCICD, you'll find me. Yay, thank you so much for joining us today. Danny, can you tell us who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, hello everyone. Uh, my name's Danny Wade. I'm a network automation engineer uh, with Blue Ally. Uh, Blue Ally is a Cisco partner. Um, we do everything from you know, reselling hardware to consulting services. Um, I'm strictly on the consulting side. I do everything network automation related, anything, any client issues that come our way, um, you know, it's very interesting to see all the problems that can be solved with network automation. Um, so I'm really interested in the conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us. Last but not least from our champions, we have Liam. Liam. Danielle. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Liam Keegan. I'm the chief technology officer for 24 seven networks, Rio Bravo systems. Uh, we are a Cisco VAR based out of, uh, the U S and Mexico. Uh, so I am a uh, complete hack when it comes to automation, and I am I am not uh, afraid to admit that I will try and make everybody's lives easier by 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 getting out some bad scripts that do do menial tasks. So I, this is a this is a huge uh, uh, huge topic of interest for me. I, I love automation. I love making our lives easier. So um, I'm I'm really excited to talk to Omar and the team here. We're very very excited to have you. Omar is our Cisco guest today. So, Omar, can you tell us who you are and what it is that you do at Cisco? Sure, Danielle. So, Omar Sultan, I'm a director of product management for automation here at Cisco. So, I have a team that builds a couple automation products, something called NSO. We also have Workflow. Um, they do all the work. I kind of just try and stay out of the way. I focus more on, you know, customer challenges, customer traction, those sorts of things. Um, and uh, much to my what my much to my wife's chagrin, I try and automate everything and under the sun. So um, we have some uh, dynamic tension at the house as <laughs> to works and what doesn't. So uh, thanks for joining us, Omar. I, like I said, I think all of us are like super into automation and and just what it means and and how how the industry is going from sort of click ops and mouse ops into into more automation. So when I was doing some research for this, I I, I looked you up on LinkedIn. And the first thing I noticed was your tagline, which is which is turning unicorns into plow horses, right? Which I, I think is is super interesting. I was wondering if you could kind of tell us sort of where that came from and like how that 
kind of guides your view of automation and in, in, in the world? Sure. So um, I've been in the industry for a while. Those that can't see me on video. Uh, uh, I've been around for a while. So we've always seen see these great technologies that expand, you know, everything like virtualization, cloud, AI now. And there's always, there's always the bright, shiny piece, and everyone gets excited about that. The thing that interests me is how we take those things and turn them into useful things that do work and solve problems day in and day out for, you know, for folks trying to get their jobs done. So that's the, you know, it's great. You got the unicorn. It's really cool looking, but how do you get it? How do you use it to actually do useful things for you? So that's really, my, you know, that's my driving philosophy when you look at product management and, and you know, technology maturity, that kind of thing. Can you just share maybe like a couple of use cases where you've seen you know, that that happen that that have sort of resonated with you? Sure. Um, I think if you look at, so you know, so so one we're we're currently looking at is is AI. You know, AI ML ops. This is all big, uh, big source of you know excitement across the industry. I, I think. You know, there's a lot of cool use cases out there, and you see people putting chat front ends on on front on top of everything. I think for me, it's taking, you know, taking something like that and turning it into okay, is it usable enough to, to to really help people with uh, solving their everyday problems? I mean, taking things like being able to predict capacity or assurance issues or SLA violations, and, and those kinds of things, and the potential's there, and you kind of see a lot of uh, a lot of proofs of concept and, and those kinds of things, but taking it from, okay, this is kind of cool to, to something that's usable and, and, and practical and getting it good enough that you can turn it loose on people. I, you know, I think we look at automation, you know, we see a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of automation starts off as science projects, right? And someone like, you know, the, the guys here say, okay, this is really cool. I'm tired of typing the same eight commands in to turn up a VPN. I want to uh, you know, let me go write some, you know, some Python script or a little Ansible playbook or something to do that. And that's really great. And that's really useful. And for me, it's like, okay, how do you take that science project and turn it into business strategy? How do you turn it into the way your company operates and, and help navigate that transition? Well, that's cool. Um, I call that oil spill automation where you have oil, all kinds of oil spots, but how do they connect together? What I see is a lot of those point solutions, but then there comes a time where you want to make it into a pipeline. You need a lot of different tools. Um, how do you see that? How does that all come together? Because that is the plow that you want behind the unicorn to make it a plow horse. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> we may kill this farming analogy, but you know, <laughs> I, I think at the end of the day, you need multiple tools, you know, as much as I love NSO and I think it's an amazing product, I'm also first one to say, it's not going to do everything for everybody. You know, I, I think when you look at automation strategy, I think this is one of the things where, where uh, think customers start to st stumble is they try and take a tool that they really like and really comfortable with and then start forcing it to do unnatural acts and having do things it really wasn't supposed to do. So, that's some, you know, some point that falls apart. So. I think just in terms of building a horizontal tool chain, it's understanding what you need and understanding where there are gaps and finding credible ways to build that gap. So that doesn't mean you should have it like 12 tools. That's a little too many, but one's not also not practical. I, I think the other piece is understanding you have different stakeholders in the organization. You have network operations folks, which they care about device lifecycle and they're looking for tooling for that. You might have service chain, you know, you might have service orchestration folks, which are more interested in end to end um, service orchestration, 
uh, and have different set of requirements, different things they care about. Sitting above that, you might have you know developers that are looking to develop services for their line of business, and they have different care abouts and different needs. So it's really starting to match requirements and understanding each you know persona each in your organization what they what do they need and start to understand how to map tooling against that. Like you I think you know, when we're doing the prep, you're talking about Terraform work and those kind of things. That's great for uh, you know a certain set of you know a certain set of users in the organization because it really hits hits the things they care about. And for others, it's like, man, okay, that's great. It doesn't do me any good. So it's you know trying to understand both in kind of horizontally what the, the entire tool chain, but vertically within the organization, what what different folks, you know, what different folks need. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see that you what you mentioned is actually not one unicorn, but you have a whole herd of unicorns, herd of unicorns. That, you want to, <laughs> that you want to align in front of your plow that they all go in, uh, in, in, in the same direction. So basically you get an amplification of all the knowledge and uh, also sharing of knowledge. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair extension of the analogy. And I think it's it's good to note here, you know, we're talking about unicorns and unicorns, everyone thinks, oh, it's just, it's a magical creature. Um, a lot of this tooling can be found in your organization already, right? Software developers have been using some of this tooling for years. Um, so it is also good to break down those silos and look across across the organization and the tooling that's available, right? And instead of pronouncing, hey, we need something net new for every bit of tooling. Um, obviously you still need to stick by your guns on, Hey, these are my requirements. Um, but you know, t popular tooling, such as Ansible, Terraform, um, you know, CICD pipelines, like those are all existing now in software development. Um, so a lot of these tools that once you understand the concepts, a lot of it is available within your organization. It may just be, Hey, we need some more licensing. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's good to look at it as a holistic system versus, you know, these small you know scripts or unicorns where it's hey here's all these all this tooling it's it's good to look at what's already available and potentially build on that yeah i think that's a huge point i think for the industry as a whole a lot of the tooling is actually server-side tooling it's software development tooling that's gotten dragged over because there's been a vacuum in in the networking automation tooling space so a lot of you know even going back to like things like chef or puppet they're repurposed tools from the you know that we you know this we stole from the server team um, and there's certainly opportunity to have thing either get them adapted or, you know, for folks to build networking specific things. Um, I think it's smart think to do what, the, what the Danny says, because it is so horribly complicated to do it yourself. You have to learn a whole new field of expertise because getting these tools to work together properly, that is, uh, something that the software people have a lot of experience with. I think the other angle of the, that, when you talk about why don't people automate more, I, I, I think with automation, there's there's a certain amount of software development methodology and discipline that you need in managing your, you know, your NSO service code, your playbooks, whatever scripting you're using. Um, and, and I think so that's, it, I think it's really important if you want to scale, but I think it's also sometimes a, a point of friction where it's, you know, if you're used to just sitting down at a CL, you know, at the router and typing a few lines and from CLI to do a config change, you know, you know, same like that. It seems very burdensome at an individual level, but at an organizational level, if you don't do that, then you're going to, you know, you're going to have chaos. Omar, in your 
sort of from your worldview, what does a fully automated network look like? Like what is, what is that? And, and I mean, perfectly honest, do people other than massive service providers have that? Like, is it, is it obtainable? Uh, yes, it's obtainable. So if you look at our, you know, all the web providers, right? you know, the, the Googles and the Facebooks and the Metas and, you know, Apples and those things, they do have, you know, they have very little operational hands-on, right? Those are very fully automated, but the, the reality is they also have the, the, the dollars and the, the, the ability to invest to make that happen. Um, I, I think the, for other, you know, for, for, for mere mortals, <laughs> I, I think it's attainable. I think the challenge is that should not be the the end goal, right? When you talk about success factors, I think one of the things I see customers run into is their vision is too grand and that, okay, I'm going to automate everything. And that seldom works. For us, the customers that, that um, are successful and have scalable strategy, they, they win the game by hitting a bunch of singles uh, in a row. They take small things, they automate them, they're successful. They demonstrate value to their leadership. The, the, the team itself learns better more about the tools. Then they build upon that. And, you know, they will either take a domain and automate it. They'll take a function and automate it and then expand upon those things. So, uh, you know, that makes more, you know, I think it's more sellable internally. I think it helps you be more, more successful. Um, and, and, you know, the 100% the everything I think is a good theory if you're, you know, if you are Google, I'm not sure that's necessarily the right, you know, the right goal uh, for, for, for regular folk. Uh, you know, I think you should automate a hundred percent of something, whether it's a process or, you know, router turn up or customer provisioning, you know, automate at the smaller step, not at the, not, you know, not try and swing for the fences and automate everything all at the same time. It's almost like for the hyperscalers, right? Their goal is to automate everything where it's like for, for sort of the mere mortals, like you, you called everybody else or us. It's like you, you, you want to get the victory. Like the victory is the first step because you know, then, then taking a little bit of success, we get success yeah. and, and, and then driving that, that through. Yeah. So, so take, yeah, take something and trying to eliminate the people and the paperwork and the post-it notes and that within that little within that little thing, whatever it ends up happening to, happening to be. Because you'll see, I mean, if you have a router turn up process, you know, the difference between, you know, having 80% of it or 90% of it automated and have the, the whole thing completely automated is, you know, it's a step change in terms of productivity or accuracy or, or you know, talking about OPEX savings, those kinds of things. However, what do you think then, uh, given the fact that there are more and more uh, pressures coming from malware and you get all those compliance requirements. Uh, I know that automation is the fastest way to uh, wreck your network, but it's also one of the few ways where you can actually prove that the deployment that you have actually is the one that you tested and that you can prove compliance. And with all the supply chain attacks, I can imagine that automation becomes a requirement pretty soon. I think so. I mean, in theory, yes. I think you need to be able to make that case. I think you need to be able to quantify it and, and have before and after measurements and those kinds of things so you can demonstrate, hey, this is, you know, this is the improvement that we, uh, you know, that we've made in, in, in KPIs that your organization cares about. And I think it, it, it is, it, if you do the homework, I think it ends up being a pretty easy case to make because you have numbers and it's easy to quantify, you know, 
accuracy of turn ups or time to go, you know, execute a particular task. So those are these are generally easy things to quantify, but you kind of need to do it ahead of time. It, it needs to be an empirical conversation. Yeah, I agree. One one of the things that you know, in, in sort of doing some research on on the crosswork framework, and, and I have like. I, I always attend all the service provider podcasts, or at least I always volunteer for them because I know nothing about the service provider space. I've spent no time in it. It's a, you get, I'm the one that gets to answer the, ask the dumb questions. But what's what's interesting about sort of like how crosswork is is positioned, right? And maybe so sort of just kind of a two part thing is maybe you could just explain for us what crosswork is, but also like when we're talking about automation automation on the network, like even within the crosswork materials, it's like Cisco divvies it up into three separate things where you can automate visibility, insights, and action, right? So I think like a lot of times you think about, well, I'm going to do some automation, I'm going to turn up a switchboard. Well, it's like that may not, that's not like one use case in, in, in the action bucket, right? But like, you know, how do you, you know, like the visibility may be like, hey, how can I see my, you know, all my power supplies status or how can I see my software, right? Insights may be like, hey, what's the trends look like? And all of those things can be automated. And so like, it, it's not just necessarily like putting in a, res like putting in a, a, here's a new VLAN I want to deploy and give me a result. It could be, you know, automation could also be on the on just like the day one, day two ops, just making your life easier so you don't have to do things manually. So, sorry, I just wanted to like kind of set that stage, but maybe you could explain sort of what crosswork is and 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 how it plays in in in, in Cisco's view of the world. Sure. So, so crosswork is our automation framework for for large networks, so service provider networks, large enterprises, large public sector, anyone that runs. A, a large network that looks like what we think of as a service provider network. So that's over. That's what crosswork is. And and folks that are running those types of networks have unique requirements and you know in terms of scale and security and those kinds of things that are you know different than enterprise you know enterprise networks or, or small business those kinds of things. So that's really what crosswork is. It's built around a couple of key products. NSO is you know certainly the thing that I work on, which is infrastructure automation, you know configuration management, those kinds of things. Uh, we have uh, CNC, Crosswork Network Controller, which is an IP domain controller. It, it is, you know, for for managing your your IP routers and IP services and those kinds of things. Then we have HCO, which is a hierarchical controller. It's you know, it's a controller of controllers. It, it manages optical controls, it manages optical devices, and then it spans uh, between domains between optical and IP. So if you think about service providing networks, you know, if I'm building a circuit from here to Seattle, it's going to be a mix of IP networks and optical networks and those kinds of things. So we want to be able to give customers a way to manage that holistically, uh, you know, at the circuit box, you know, at the device level. So, you know, that's what Crosswork is is focused on. And for, for you know, NSO itself is a standalone product, but it's also then baked into, you know, into some of the other products. Now, the the reason we did the, you know, the visualization action insights type of type of thing is, like I said, yeah, we need to do a bunch of things. A lot of times when th people talk about um, automation, they think about the action piece. Like you said, okay, I just need to automate the turn up of a VPN from the, from these two locations, and that's you know that's a thing that needs to get done. I mean, you know, you totally get that. But if you look at the running the business parts of it, you also need to understand, hey, what's going on with with my circuits? Are they being you know what's the utilization like? What's the capacity? Do I need to you know, think about adding additional capacity six months from now. Uh, what do I need to do in terms of how my SLAs? Am I meeting my SLA requirements? Am I 
at risk of, uh, you know, violating some SLA. So that's where the insights and the, uh, you know, and the vision, you know, visibility and those kinds of act pieces that come into play. To, you know, so not just turned up day zero or day one, like you talk about, but day two and day two and onward, understand topology, understand circuit use. If I'm, you know, uh, I have an optimization engine, I have PC, uh, you know, around my IP networks to, to be able to use them and utilize them more effectively and more efficiently. So if you have that knowledge, you can also start looking at, uh, I might have to expand my capacity, but also, for example, between 11 in the evening and six o'clock in the morning, I can shut off uh, capacity or uh, something that actually uses power for sustainability reasons. Exactly. So. Part of it is then not just automation within the, each of those buckets, and but you know we call, we call maybe we close close loop, start linking those things together. So if my usage is down, maybe I turn off circuits, maybe I turn off ports, uh, and and drive a sustainability message. Or if I start to see I'm having some starting to throw hard errors on a circuit, maybe I proactively then start moving traffic off that circuit to another circuit and start draining that circuit and send a note saying, hey, we need some maintenance on this line card in this router and in, in this location. And do those kinds of things, which is kind of the end goal. Now, are we there yet? No, I mean, some of that stuff, yes, you know, there's still work to be done. But, uh, you know, I think that's where we're trying to get to when we talk about closed loop operation and kind of the top level vision for, for cross work. And that's a vision for Cisco as well to get that into the, uh, into the automation frameworks that you're creating. Yep. That actually you get that kind of stuff out of the box. Yeah. I mean, if you look at what, you know, what Cisco's doing with Crosswork, if you look at what you know, Meraki's doing, what Thousand Eyes does, if you look at, you know, even in the, in the data center space, that same idea of being able to, you know, notice things, analyze them, take action, and, and then link them together, you know, is a common theme across, you know, all the different parts of Cisco. Now, the thing is, and this is, I think, one of the in interesting things, part of it is, you know, being able to demonstrate the capacity and the capability, but the other thing is building trust and actually wanting to do that. It's great to say, hey, my theory is, you know, I'm going to have some bot that notices an issue, sees what the issue is, and is automatically going to reprovision your, your router as it moves traffic to a different circuit. In theory, that sounds great. Now, in reality, do you really want that to happen? Well, you know, I, I think there's some hesitation about bots running loose on the network and making changes. So, you know, there's a trust, you know, there's a trust and demonstration of capability thing that needs to happen both between what we can deliver and, and what our customers are willing to actually turn up and implement. I, I've had those chats with like chat GPT, where you get that AI hallucination where all of a sudden the thing just spins out and starts going in Skynet mode. And it's like, that's, that's the last thing you want is for, for that to be on your network. I mean, can you, can you just talk real quick about sort of what, like, I mean, if, if you're automating everything, you have to trust the automation controller, right? And, and sort of what's Cisco's you know, especially in these frameworks of like, how, how do you build trust? Because I'm assuming that you don't just go and sell, hey, here's your fully end-to-end -end network tomorrow, right? Like that, that, that's sort of a result over time, but like how is trust built into the, into the platform or maybe it's, not, maybe, like, like how, do, how do the operators get trust or make sure that they, they trust the environment that, 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 they're, that they're running? That is, that is a complicated question. So I, th I, I think two things, I, I, so, Underpinning our solutions, they're all model. They're all model driven. So, when with with NSO, we have essentially we you know we have a model of the network it's managing, and the solutions like CNC that build upon and that all benefit from that. 
So we have state for a router, right? So when we change, you know, when, when you push a config change through, uh, you know, the config change through goes through, it goes to the router, the router then repeats the, you know, updates, uh, you know, update state, state, and that gets reported back into NSO. So if I say, hey, turn a port up, I know the ports, you know, I know the port's been turned up and I don't have to then go and write additional code saying, hey, I asked the port to be turned up. Now is the port actually turned up? So, you know, we build the products, uh, you, know, uh, you know, being, you know, to hold state, to be uh, intent-based, to help make sure we have, you know, a, at least a source of truth in, in terms of what's actually going on going on in the network. Um, that being said, a lot of, you know, a lot of automation, I think sometimes this gets lost. I, I always say that the technology piece is easy. It's a people process piece that is, that is probably the harder thing. So, you know, I just said, oh, I've got this wonderful tool and it's state-based, I maintain intent. Probably one of the biggest challenges we have is I still, you know, someone will go into, an, you know, into a router, do an out-of-band change, and then suddenly you've got drift between what you think's going on and what, you know, what the actual things are. And then if someone then uses NSO to make a change without checking state and it breaks up on their tool is broken. All right, well, well, maybe it should have been smarter or not. And, and, you know, in our case, we have tools so you can go check state and, you know, make sure it's what you think it is before you implement changes. But, you know, at a broader level, you know, trust is almost is more a people and process thing than it is necessarily a tooling thing. I think part of it is also a, a demonstrable, uh, you know, some of it's just what your experience is. Well, that's a stupid example, but so I have a car, you know, we have a garage with a big fan set. That's it in, in the pre-call. Automate the heck out of everything. So, you know, automated opening and closing a garage door when the car comes in and goes out. So our garage door, we have HomeKit, the Apple thing, and we, you know, we can do it through that way. Then I go to Tesla and Tesla does its own thing. And, you know, it'll automatically open the garage door when, uh, you know, when I show up and it'll close it when I leave. The difference in operation between those two things is uh, there are two pieces. Uh, if you've done DevOps, you think you know what, what idempotent means and, and those kind of things. So the way Apple does it, it maintains state of the garage door. So it actually knows if the garage door is up or down. So it doesn't just blindly send up, press the button and it, it'll do the, the door. The door will be in the opposite state from what it was before. So that makes the tool more trustable, you know, more useful, more useful for me because it doesn't close it when I expect it to open or vice versa. Um, the other piece is, uh, you know, the kind of the entertaining, not you know, funny, not funny story. Uh, when on, on the Tesla, when they enabled this feature to open and close a garage door, they tried it. We, we tried it once and then we turned it off immediately. What happened <laughs> is it's great. It work it great. It works in that it knows you're in the garage now. It doesn't tell if the car is all the way in the garage. So the first time we tried to fold in, the car wasn't all the way in. The tail end is sticking out. The garage door starts coming back down. So it was a mad dash to, to get in front of the sensor to you know stop the garage door from opening. But you know it's a it's a long example of how you know you, you can automation can actually you know break trust and and leave it broken for a long time. But we turned it you know we turned it on and we said okay this was cool. But oh no, it's really not. I really don't want to squish my car. And we turned it off and then have never turned it back on again. So I, I think you can build pre features into the product, like holding state and those kind of things, to lessen the risk of of bad things happening. Um, but you also need the people in pro you know you, you need the understanding and the process to support that. I, I, you know I, I think when you say automation, people either think Skynet, 
or they think sources apprentice and I'm going to automate and do something really stupid at machine speed. And both of those are fair. Uh, you know, I think from a product perspective, we can build in as many guardrails as we can. But if you're adopting uh, automation in your organization or within your team, whatever, you also kind of need to do the, the policy and the education and, and best practices piece to complement that. And just to add to that, I mean, to, I guess, to bring it back to, you know, we're talking about closed loop automation. I think 1 of the biggest components of closed loop automation is observability um, and being able to see what's going on in the network. Um, I also think that observability can tie into testing and validation of the network. Up to this point, it's been kind of state and time, right? Do a change state, you know, what's the state and time kind of going back to your, you know, example. Um, but being able to produce and, you know, really view and visualize observability, I think can help with that trust. Because uh, you're, you're showing whether it's your ops team or your engineering team, you're showing, hey, I just pushed some automation going, you know, using a config push as an example. Here's the state of the network in a, you know, it could be in a polling, it could be in a push, like, however you want to do or, you know, uh, consume that observability metrics. I think that really helps. And I, you know, I'll leave, I'll, I guess I'll lead the example with if you go to the doctors and, you know, you're feeling all right and you get x-rays done and they find something, what's the first thing you do? You pull up charts or you pull up something to say, Hey, this is what's going on actually. Right. Um, and I think that's the same thing with the network. Whereas you don't really know everything that's going on. And, you know, we're in a state now where you could get a spaghetti mess of data. But being able to take in that data and then kind of sift through it, aggregate it, you know, you know, I'll, I'll call out Grafana, right? Creating dashboards in a tool like Grafana, where it's very easy to visualize what's going on in the network. I think collectively that can kind of earn trust um, amongst engineers. Danny, are you are, are, are you seeing that in your day to day work? Like, are your customers coming to you and saying, hey, you know, not only do I want to push a config change, but I also want to validate intent. Absolutely. Um, not to the extent of that, you know, Grafana and observability. Um, but yes, to the point where, Hey, if we're, if we're tasked to push configuration, um, you know, initially I would say it's the, it's just a simple, the scope of work is push this configuration or, you know, I'll use the example of replace the logging host across the network, right? Something simple like that. Um, but as kind of one of our standards is, be able to create that validation and testing and then having it recorded. Cause obviously no one asked for it unless something goes wrong. And one of the first things you want to do is ha have that recorded. Um, and then all those tests, you know, those testing results. So, um, and it also, you know, going back to you know, software engineering, how we talked about, you know, borrowing tools from software engineering, um, you know, test driven development. It's a, it's a big, it can kind of be you know, a dicey topic depending on who you talk to, but being able to write tests, before you write that automation, um, it's just good practice too, because you know it helps solidify what you're actually looking for after you push changes. And I think with what you said, you touch on a very important point. Um, and that's the difference between intent and state. And uh, what I try to tell people is that your configuration is your intent. What you end up with is your state. And uh, if you're talking about changing an interface that's easy but now you're changing bgp or isis and that is a distributed system 
So something I change on route, router one will have an effect on router Z and um, that state is actually what you want to check. So pushing intent through your automation is one thing, getting your state is, especially in distributed systems like networks, is really interesting because only if the distributed state is correct, then you know that your intent has passed. So it's not like I push it to I push it to router A, I check it on router A and it works. No, I push it to router A and I have to go past all thousand routers to make sure that it actually that they actually converged and that they got the right state because that's the only way to catch bugs if there are, Cisco software doesn't have bugs. So you don't have to do that with Cisco, but with all the other vendors, you probably will have to do that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, to figure out if the end state that you want to achieve is actually achieved, is a lot more complicated than a lot of people think and then and then observability comes into play like okay do all my boxes have the right state and i think the only way to do that is probably automation yeah. well and even i mean how many how many organizations even now just capture config backups from routers right or switches right it's just purely hey copy run start or let me let me dump this to a tftp server right and i think like one of the most underused undervalued tools that just needs to be everywhere is pi ats right for the low low price of it doesn't cost a thing yep. not only will it capture you know you, you basically load your inventory of your devices you can export it from SolarWinds or whatever you're using for your nms put it into pi ats PyTS will go out, not only capture all your configurations, but it'll capture the state of your network, right? When it, when it takes the checkpoint. So it'll say, show me the IP routing table, show me my BGP neighbors, show me my OSPF neighbors, show me my MAC address tables, show me my ARP, right? And if you're capturing that every day and somebody says, hey, the network's broken, right? And the, and the clock starts on, you know, when, when it's, you have to prove that you don't have a problem, you can say, Hey, let me diff what the network looks like between right now and yesterday or when it was working before and say, Hey, the Mac address doesn't, it, it's gone. Or you're right. The route dropped. Let's look at it or, or whatever it is. Not, it is such a critical thing is understanding that state of the network and being able to action on it. And I think that like, I mean, I'm telling you like the, like just using Pi ATS, which is such a great tool and is just, it's, it's out there for free and, and everybody can use it. It should just be mandatory. I, I don't know. I, I'm, not to get too product pitchy because I've tried to avoid that, but this is one of the things, you know, with NSO, with NSO is it does, it allows you to do that, right? It, it, the, the state database is a fully journal, so I can make changes, I can do rollbacks, I can go back and point in time, do diffs, um, I can make a config change and say, oops, and then do a full rollback in production. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and that's a way to do it. Like you said, there's PyETS, there's a bunch, of, there's a couple other ways, but I think that back to building trust and just back to, uh, you know, I think baseline functionality. That's definitely one of the things you want to strive for. Can, can we pivot and talk about NSO for just a few minutes? You guys, you guys mind? Because okay, I, I am mind. like such a huge fan of NSO. I think it is so cool. And, and maybe Omar, if you just want to give sort of the brief, like 
okay, we, we talked about like PyATS, which is the free version, like not, not a free version. It is a tool that gives you like not only operational, but configuration state, but what is NSO? Like what does NSO do and why do people, why do people adopt it? So why do people adopt it? Um, so NSO at the end of the day is like my CTO would say it's a transaction engine. It takes intent, you, you know, if expressed from some system above it, you know, scripting, OSS, BSS, other management tools, and turns it into device configurations. It's it's a model. Let's just talk about it. it's model driven. Everything internally is NetConf Yang. It's um, it's a big claim to fame as this multi vendor, right? So one of the things we allow you know we allow you to do is have uh, vendor independent device configs or service and you know device intent service intent, and NSO does the all the heavy work and heavy lifting of taking that single device intent, whether it's a port configuration or service intent, like a VPN service definition. And then turning it into, okay, this is a Juniper router or a Cisco router and turning that into the lines of code and configuration that are specific to that. So that really, um, you, you talk about different buying centers in different parts of the organization, your service creation people can just write services, right? Okay, this is what I want. This is what the configuration for our VPN turnout people should look like, or this is what, you know, the device configuration for a border router or an edge router should look like and kind of do those things. And, and then like an NSO then apply that in the real world for uh for actual devices what makes it kind of cool uh you know so the, the, the netconf yang model driven architecture uh we talked a little about the fact it's multi-funded so we have support for like 170 different devices which is not, not necessarily the things that cisco is known for but you know we support 170 different vendors platforms operating systems uh, those kinds of things to mark's point uh you know it understands the difference between service intent and device intent so device intent is like i need to turn you know put an ip address in the port Surface intent is a little more what Mark talked about in terms of, you know, I'm turning up something that spans across multiple nodes. Um, and I need to be able to check, you know, you know, both, you know, the beginning and end point of the, of the VPN or circuit or something, both get turned up, it's running properly. And if not, I need to be able to roll things back. I think one of the, one of the biggest fears is you have a, you know, you intend to do something and it kind of, it only half works. And how do you recover from, from something like that? So when, uh, you know, when NSO operates, as I said, it does, you know, like a database, two-phase commit, fully journaled. So it's either all or nothing in that I can, you know, turn up a, a VPN and make sure both sides get turned up and the world's a happy place. Or if one side fails, then I can just roll the whole thing back to uh, to, to where I was before. The, the final big thing is we have a technology called FastMap. And I look at FastMap's like uh, navigation in your car, say, I want to go to grandma's house. You plug in grandma's address and the car figures out how to get there. And if you hit traffic, you miss a turn, there's construction, whatever, it automatically adjusts to what's going on in real time and finds the shortest path to grandma's house. Um, and, uh, you know, NSO works the same way. So it's very it's dynamic, intent-driven. So it looks at the intent you've expressed. I want to turn this thing up. I want to make this configuration change. It looks at the current state on the device. Then it maps the, the least amount of changes it needs to make you know, at the configuration level to to make that change happen. So it's different from procedural languages. I always say procedural languages are more like, you know, 10 years ago, you go to grandma's house, you, you know, go, you log on to MapQuest, you print out a set of directions and take them in, into the car, which is great. But if you miss your turn or, you know, road is closed for construction, you're in, you're in a little bit of trouble versus, you know, intent-based, you're always, what's the outcome? Okay, what's well, the shortest path from where I am to where, to my desired outcome. So, so, in, in the... so how hard is it to define a service? Because I remember in the beginning of NSO, mm -hmm. 
it was kind of you had to make some really complicated files. Uh, is that still the same? And netconf yang is not easy to play with. I know it's hidden in NSO, but how hard is it to to get started? It's well, okay. Oh, honest, it's not an easy tool. But to to the points earlier, a lot of the work we've done is to make it easier to turn up. So if if the last time you touched NSO was two three years ago, uh, we put a lot, a lot of effort into um, into ease of, ease of use, observability, kind of um, more of the interest from our customers is, is less about we need technical features as much as I can make it uh, faster, get things developed faster, get things uh, turned up uh, simpler, uh, you know, simpler technologies. We spend a lot of time on, de on developer support. We now have a plugin for Visual Studio to help you write, write GAN code or, you know, um, develop code, those kinds of things. So I always tell folks it's not, you know, I always want to set expectations so they're happy. You know, so they have a good experience. This is there's a, there's a learning curve, and there's no getting around that. Um, one of the reasons we have a workflow product now is to help get around that learning curve and make it, you know, make NSO more accessible in general. But uh, I think for customers that can push the learning curve, it's immensely powerful and, and it does things no one else on the market can can do it right now. Whether it's a multi-vendor support or the intent-based management or, or or maintaining state and those kinds of things. But and is there a set of reference configurations and examples that you can use? Yeah, we have a whole, um, uh, you know, whole presence on DevNet with a bunch of um, sample use cases and, and those kinds of things. Um, it's, you know, rich developer community. You can go to onto the developer hub, uh, log on, ask for uh, you know if you have problem, any challenges with trying to get something set up. Most of the engineering team sits on the you know sits on that, and we'll you know, get to chat with engineers directly on, on getting problems solved. Just to follow on on that, I mean, NSO, I think, is a really interesting product from within Cisco because it's super available for everybody to grab. I mean, you can go to developer.cisco.com. There are the NSO Learning Labs. You can go download a copy of NSO. You can download some of the NEDs, which are basically that shim between NSO and, you know, whether it's a Cisco ASA or an iOS XR or an ASA box, you can download some of those those and follow the labs and actually, like, go and do it yourself. And then part of that's actually, I mean, Danny, you did that when you were doing DevNet Expert stuff, right? NSO's on there as well, right? Right, yeah. And I actually, I was just looking, um, you know, Omar, he mentioned about VS Code extensions. And there, it looks like there, you know, there's two extensions and reading just kind of the, the summaries, uh, these are these are pretty nice. <laughs> I mean, just based on you know starting with Good job, Omar. Dude, this, <laughs> this is, yeah, this is great. Um, so you know, obviously, I, I don't want to get stuck on that, but you know, if, if you're listening to this episode, uh, definitely take a look at the NSO Developer Studio extension for VS Code, um, assuming you're using VS Code. But it, it looks pretty neat. Well, thank you, Danny. The, uh, the engineers will be happy to hear that that worked <laughs> that worked on that. But yeah, I mean, so in the intro, you know, in the, you know, in the pre-call, I was like, you know, I, th I spend time pondering why don't people automate more? And I, you know, look at my own product and say, okay, it does the things people needed to do. We just need to make it easier for them to use it. And that's when you know, we make the investment in developer resources and, and you know, observability. We have, like Grafana, we have books for Grafana and stuff so people can see all the X actually happening in my automation and have my job proceeding and, and those kinds of things. So... I, you know, and, and Mark, it's a fair question. I'm glad you asked it. it is you know, it's you know, you're not going to fall out of bed and, and become an NSO expert. But uh, you know, I think if you uh, 
you know, it, it's, um, you know, the, the juice is worth the squeeze, as they, as they say, in terms of uh, coming up to coming up to speed. And as I say, it's also, it's also baked into a lot of our other things, our optical controller, CNC, um, some of the other products, you know, some of our other products coming down the line. It's uh, kind of the orchestration engine we're standardizing on internally. Excellent. I'm I mean, going to visit you at Cisco Live in Amsterdam, and I want to do the all the labs on NSO now. So you should talk to Niels Petter. He's actually he will so he'll be there. Uh, he's uh, he's out of Stockholm. Uh, some of you know NSO came out of an acquisition of TLF uh, probably a, a few years ago. So he'll be there. Ask him all the questions you want. <laughs> he'll be happy to answer them. I will. I will. And, and come to Developer Day. I go put so it's, if you really want to do labs and stuff, come to Developer Days in. Uh, May in Stockholm. Great time to be in Stockholm and uh, lots of great sessions. Most, I you know, most of them are actually customers coming back and saying, hey, this is stuff that we're doing with, uh, you know, doing with NSO. Uh, we have a YouTube channel where you can see a lot of the old presentations, but um, like a chance to chat with the engineers, do hands on labs, that kind of thing. Okay, before I close, Omar, is there anything left that we did not cover? No, I think part a lot. <laughs> All right. Well, that's another great episode on the books to our listeners. If you want to continue your learning on today's topics, you can check out the resources provided in the show notes below. Also, the Cisco Champion 2024 applications are officially open for submissions. Now is the perfect time to showcase your, showcase your passion for technology and become a part of an elite group. I will add a link to the application in the show notes below. And this is your weekly reminder, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening, make sure you click on that subscribe or follow below. Thank you for listening in and see you again next time.